Welcome to the Old Chats Pod with me, Amesha here. And me, James Factor. This podcast will tackle the taboo topic of mental health in a raw, honest and jovial way. With two good mates who've met in London talking about their own mental health hiccups with some help from some special guests along the way. Welcome to episode 16. This is the Mindfulness Chat. Here we speak to psychotherapist and mindfulness instructor Mark Elton about how he got into mindfulness the benefits and misconceptions of the practice, and he also takes us through a short bonus session at the end for listeners to join in with. Third week of Jam Factor, how are you, how are you feeling into this prosperous new year? Um, I'm not too bad. I haven't been too badly affected by Blue Monday. Um, I didn't notice it actually, so just same old really, nothing too dramatic. What about you? I saw quite a few bits on social media about Blue Monday, but I think I just kept myself busy during the week, so you just kind of forget about it. Um, yeah, it's pretty good. And then there's a bit of a there's some bittersweet news this week. Cause I saw Glastonbury's cancelled, but the chairman of the Olympic Committee doesn't see there to be a reason Tokyo to be cancelled, so positive that's good i didn't see that and london marathon uh, organizers are hopeful that fifty thousand people will be able to participate in october sounds good just i've just read bbc sport all week really yes what you've been doing any any lions updates for that no, you've no. Been, you been keeping an eye on that for sure haven't you that's, Seeing when that's confirmed. i'm sure they're going to make an announcement soon i think it said february yeah oh yeah okay fine who knows fingers crossed Got tickets for Merrifield, mate. Oh, have the, oh, Japan. Yeah. oh very nice. Yeah. Um, so I'm, yeah, invested interest in that going ahead. Fingers crossed. It'll be all right. Fingers crossed we, for England, Scotland at the Euros as well. Is that right? Is it Euros scheduled for this year? Yeah, the Euros yeah, obviously got postponed from last year and England are playing Scotland in the groups. Uh, um, another bit of positives is UEFA supposedly are quite positive about the fact games to play at Wembley because our vaccination programme is a lot higher than the other European cities. That is good. What a summer of sport we've got to come ahead of us, Mesh. In the meantime, we've been doing a bit of poker. We've both been doing it. We've done it separately, but now we've had the opportunity to play together in the same room when the chip's down with the HAC poker evening. How do you find it? Yeah, good, mate. I think it's... It's good to chat to people that we haven't, like, generally, like I said, we haven't spoken for about a year. Yeah. It's hard to concentrate and talk, that's my problem. I've got, <laughs> got a game face on. Yeah, the countdown, the clock's quick, isn't it? It gets, you don't have time. It is. The chip takes your money quick as well, the game. Yeah, tough. And also, it's good with the engagement, what we're doing, and everyone getting out and about and running as well. Yeah, that is, that is good. That was great. Have you told people about... Your idea, Mesh. It's not How my idea. It's, it's taken off. It's not our idea. It was your idea. Yeah. Did you steal it from someone else then? Because you no, came up with it. I just, no, no. We, we had the meeting. We were in the, meet, yeah. we were in the meeting and then people were talking and then Mesh just comes in and puts the idea down and that was it. Just a competitive edge. So Art and Senna, the race driver, is like a big theme of our rugby season, which I think is great. It is great to have like a uniform theme and obviously outside of rugby as well um, since the last dance we've everyone oh, wants to have a theme for that, that oh. season <laughs> yeah and then everyone's running an f1 circuit 
So, for example, last week was Interlagos in Brazil, yeah. and this week was Monaco. Um, and it's just the distance of the circuit, which obviously adds a bit of competitiveness and also a nice bit of creativity to getting out and about when it's cold and dark. Yeah, that's a great idea. I haven't seen your, haven't seen your uh, lap time yet. You know what? I thought I was onto a winner, and then a few late entries came through, and uh, they put mine to shame. I have, I'll do it. I'll do the Monaco one this this weekend and post it for sure. Yeah, I think um, everyone. Yeah, it's great, it's competitive, but I think it's more a case just getting out and about. It doesn't matter about time. Yeah, that's true, but it's still competitive though. Still very competitive, and I think so. I did mine beginning of the week. I was struggling like the last two days. I had to get some stretching done, get some yoga, help my breathing get done. Was that the first big run? Probably pre, pre, you, you, since, pre, yeah, since like pre-Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. Slept like a baby. It probably helps for this chat as well, helping with the breathing and yoga. It does indeed. We've got, um, it's a family affair this week. My uncle has very kindly agreed to come on the show and speak to us all the way in Bilbao, where he is a mindfulness instructor. So he started off as a child psychotherapist, moved into mindfulness as he started to find out more about it a few years ago. And now he's a huge advocate. He started a company and he's here to tell us all about it. So over to you, Mark Elton. Hello. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm fine. Can you hear me and see me okay? Yeah, all good. Yeah. Looks like you're in a bit of a hotter climate than over here, Mark. Yeah, it's just a white wall. It's not, it's, um, I'm, I'm, very, I'm, I'm a bit hot, that's all. No, it's, well, it's actually, it's not a bad day today. It's not, not a bad day today, but the weather, the weather here in Germany is not much better than London. You look good, though. Yeah. You do look brown. Browner than a wheel. Well, yeah. That's just... Maybe not a bit. <laughs> today, we're going to talk about all things mindfulness. And because it's it's getting big, it's getting bigger and bigger each year. We keep hearing about it, so thought we'd speak to someone who knows everything about it, and we may even get a short mindfulness session included at the end as well, and see how it goes. So, Mark, hi. Hello, hi guys. Pleased to be here. As you said, my my, my original training was as a child psychotherapist um, at the Tavistock in London. That was back. I started training in two thousand, finished in two thousand and four, and that was a psychoanalytic training you probably know that psychoanalysis as a kind of theoretical approach places a lot of emphasis on the unconscious and on the past you know kind of trying to think about how our past experiences have kind of unconsciously influenced the way we are today and so i guess for a long time i wasn't particularly interested in mindfulness because i thought mindfulness sounded a bit superficial it sounded a bit kind of you know this type of stuff about being present in the moment i think i was probably quite snobby about it and thought it was a fashion or it was just you know something that people who read kind of coffee coffee table psychology books were into that wasn't very serious but my my kind of my curiosity got kind of got got peaked as i as i, as I you know i've been living in spain now for for 15 years and i started to hear more and more about mindfulness you know in the in the british media and i've got psychologist friends who started to be interested in it so i tried it i thought well i better read about this and find out what it's about and for me, it was just like a, a complete kind of breath of fresh air. You know, I started to practice mindfulness. I started to dispute. I, I, I decided I wanted to train as a mindfulness instructor. 
And I just found it such a kind of human, um, accessible, you know, reasonably in, easy to at least start practicing into integrate into your life. And very quickly sort of found I was kind of being kind of nicer to myself, really. And it gave me you know, a whole, whole new set of tools really to kind of manage my kind of difficult psychological tendencies. I'm, I'm, I'm quite a controlling person. I'm somebody who likes to have organized i like to have my my list of things to do up to date my mind tends to kind of jump into the future a lot and kind of get anxious about what might happen and it, it was just just a really easy practical um, tool that i could do something i could start to, to, to introduce meditation into my daily life and i noticed quite quickly how it kind of helped me i guess kind of treat myself better I think one of the things you know that we'll probably talk about as we go on is you know what is mental health? What is what are we trying to how are we trying to help ourselves when we, we engage in mindfulness or any kind of therapeutic approach? And for me it's really about about self-acceptance and about um, not so much trying to change who one is, but to relate differently to, to oneself and to one's difficulties and to one's stresses and strains. And I found that, that mindfulness was, was, a, was a, a really useful way of doing that. So I kind of started to introduce it into my, my work as a therapist. Although my original training was with, with children and adolescents, I've increasingly started to work with adults, uh, in, in individual work with adults, and started to offer mindfulness groups. I, I left my previous job, which was a public service job, I left in 2015 and opened the centre where I now work. And the mindfulness groups here have really taken off. And, just notice how people are, are so overburdened with um, sense of too much to do, too much kind of um, expectation on themselves. Then you know, our minds are too busy, too full, too overburdened, too. We'll talk about this later. A monkey mind out there where people just kind of are just so overtaken by. Um, Things that are outside the present moment, things they've done or didn't do, or things they have to do or can't do. That um, I just felt real. There's a real need in general for people to manage the kind of mental overstretching that I think a lot of us experience. So for me, it's, it's been a real, a real discovery, and something I really enjoy teaching as well. And see, I mean, our courses, most mindfulness courses, are just eight weeks long, and ours is. And to see people after you know just less than two months come out and say. That's really you know, kind of changed how I relate to myself and, and, and see people kind of make a conscious decision to, to allow themselves the time to practice mindfulness and to, to, to really notice how important it is to treat themselves better. Was there a point where you kind of discovered mindfulness or was it just like you said you worked in the public sector? Like what made you, did you just come about it? Or? I think it was just kind of, I think it was just kind of the kind of sense of it kind of, drip feeding really just kind of hear, hearing about it in the media and hearing hearing people talk about it I, there was i think actually one of the things that drew my attention to it was when um ruby wax bought a book out about mindfulness about about eight years ago now um i'm quite quite a fan of her i find i was, I was kind of like what she's done on tv and they kind of uh, hear her talk about her struggles with depression and how mindfulness had been kind of a lifesaver for her I think it just made me think, okay, well, maybe it is worth reading about and finding a bit more about. And once I did, I just, I just found it, to, as I said, to be such a kind of um, 
human approach, really. I think, I guess my, my experience with psychoanalysis, both as a, a, a child psychotherapist and also my own experience as a patient, because to, to train in those kinds of um, modalities, you have to have your own experience of being a patient. That was that the, the, there was just a, a perhaps a lack of kind of direct connectedness to what's going on in the person's life at the moment. Um, I think mindfulness is something that you could say is very experience near. People get it quickly. You can, when you start to meditate, although it might not be easy to do it or to feel feel that you can do it, just to kind of sit with yourself and notice your thoughts and feelings and bodily sensations in itself is a kind of accessible act that you can start doing straight away. And I guess once I started practicing mindfulness, and just that kind of very simple act of giving yourself at first, maybe 10 or 15 minutes every day, just to sort of see, well, how am I? What's going on? How is my mind? Just kind of tuning into my breathing, feeling my body, um, letting the rest of the world take care of itself. Um, it, it sounds it, it sounds like it's not very much, but it's actually a, kind of quite a radical act of of looking after yourself, just to just to kind of pay attention to how am I? Because I think a lot of the time there's just there's just no time or mental space for for us to notice how we are. So we just we, we know we're we're just constantly reacting rather than noticing what we really need. Is it because the for the first maybe few times you do it, people are maybe skeptical because they're not seeing results straight away, and and you think it needs you you encourage people to stick with it for eight weeks to really get the difference from their from their life. I think eight weeks is quite a short time, really. You know, my as a, as a psychotherapist, usually you, when you're when you're with a, a client or a patient, you're, it can be many months or even years. So I think eight weeks is is actually not long. Um, and yeah. also people, that, I mean, I'll talk about really what mindfulness is in a, in a moment, but when people start to just try and be present and just try and notice their breathing and try and notice their, their bodily sensations and sounds, and then it's not, it sounds simple, it's not easy at all, and people need time to kind of gently work their way into it and start with very simple practices. You know, just the, the simple practice of noticing your breathing and noticing when you've gone to your list of things to do and thoughts have intruded, and you're kind of being annoyed by the noises outside or whatever, and then just gently, gently coming back and gently coming back without judging yourself. Well, I think one of the main aspects of mindfulness is changing how, how you judge yourself and not chasing after any kind of results or doing it well, but just learning to, to come back over and over again to noticing who you are. And we, we, we spend kind of the first four weeks of the course really on quite basic practices, which are kind of body-based tangible things, breathing, physical sensations, sounds even. And then the second part of the course, we, we deal more with the psychological aspects of how mindfulness can help you with your, your, your thoughts, your mental processes and, and your emotional state and how to kind of notice and be with yourself in a kind of non-judgmental, compassionate way. And yeah, that, that I think eight weeks isn't, it's an awful lot to actually pack into eight weeks. Yeah, but it's enough for people after that generally get the they get the the process and then they go on to do it that's the idea it's, it's, it's enough time to kind of get into a regular practice i mean people are practicing between each session we always give homeworks and people are in theory practicing every day at home and so by the end of the eight weeks they've i think again it depends on personal personal motivation as well you know if they carry on I, I, most of the time i'll never know if they carry on or not but certainly in my experience kind of that eight week structured block of practice is a really good way to kind of get a, a, a basic 
but thorough enough knowledge of mindfulness to then kind of you know, take it away by yourself. And then, of course, people, I, I always hope, will, will investigate and will keep meditating on their own, will read more, will kind of follow their own path. I mean, we're talking a lot about mindfulness. Maybe we should kind of backtrack a bit and, and, and explain what it really is. <laughs> there may be many listeners who, who know the word but aren't really familiar about, about what mindfulness means and, and, and how you practice it. I mean, my, my, mindfulness is not new, although it's kind of something that's, in, you know, in fashion and has been increasingly you know, sort of present in the kind of public awareness in recent years. It's actually a, a Buddhist practice. It's actually uh, you know, a derivation, a, a kind of modern secular version of a kind of Buddhist meditation, which has you know, therefore been around for you know, two and a half thousand years. But the, the kind of modern founder of mindfulness with a man called John Kabat-Zinn, who um, defines mindfulness in, in the following way. He says mindfulness means paying attention um, in a specific way. And he, he names three, three qualities of attention that we try and, try and use, which is um, on, attention on purpose, in the present moment, and non-judgmentally. So when we're practicing mindfulness, we'll go, we'll go through the, the, the three of them. On purpose, paying attention on purpose refers to the fact that most of the time our, our attention is just being dragged around, it's being kind of pulled about by whatever we have in our minds or whatever external demands around at the time, whether it's work, whether it's family, whether it's all the things I have to get done, whether it's my mobile that's constantly buzzing and pulling me into it or, or other technology or you know, TV, the news, whatever it is. No. Or it's my own mind that's just kind of dragging me along behind it with these kind of mental processes that I can't, I'm not really aware of, of, of having any control over. So when we practice mindfulness, the first thing is it's, it's, a, it's almost it's a decision to try and take back control, take back you know, the reins of my attention and decide what I want to be attending to at any given moment. And then... Um, the second factor in, in the present moment, well, that's fairly obvious what it means, you know, to try and be more present with what's going on right now. When you try and do it, you realize how it's that first. It's, it, it, we're, we're, we're very unused to it. We, we, you know, most people spend perhaps the vast majority of their time with this idea of monkey mind jumping back and forth between what, what has happened already and what might happen in the future. You know, sometimes it's in a positive way, kind of going back to the past as if it was better than now. You know, I was much happier when I had my old job. I was much happier with my old girlfriend. I was much happier when I was a kid. Or it could be with regrets. You know, why did I do this? Why did I do that? Why has this happened to me? This wasn't fair, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And the same with the future. And we kind of jump forward to, um, I can't wait for the weekend to come. And I'll, I'll be much happier when I get out of this job. I'll be much happier when I find a new partner. I'll be much happier when COVID is over. Or we're looking to the future in a kind of anxious way. You know, I, 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 what, what if this happens? What if that happens? You know, uh, I've got so much to do. And it, so we, we spent all this time jumping back and forth, you know, kind of swinging on the branches of our thoughts like a monkey. One leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. And it just generates a, a, a huge amount of unnecessary stress as well as just taking ourselves taking us out of our lives as, we, as they're being lived at the moment. Most people are not 
not pre- really present, fully present for most of their lives. Yeah. So, you know, it's really, really important kind of to gently practice coming back to the present moment. And then that brings us to the, the last point, non-judgmentally, really addresses um, our tendency to divide our experiences, people, things, situations into good and bad and to kind of try and keep hold of all the good stuff that we like about ourselves, we like about people or the the things that have gone right and then anything that's difficult, anything that's worrying, that makes us angry, makes us anything that we don't like about the outside situation about ourselves, kind of get rid of it and pretend it's not there. But it doesn't work. (laughs) Usually it doesn't work. So what mindfulness is really is really inviting us to do is, is to kind of let, let it all in. Let, 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 you know, be present for all of it. Don't judge it. Find out about it. Um, you know, don't just try and cling on to your happiness and your excitement and, and what's going well. But, you know, find out about your sadness. Find out about your anxiety. Find out about your anger. Know it. Be with it. Don't judge it. And, and see what happens. Um, not kind of... You know, to help us stop living in tension with ourselves and stop trying to kind of force the world to be in the way that we think we need it to be and really stop and, and, and accept, not in a passive way, but in a kind of realistic way, accept what's going on in your life and perhaps even more importantly, learn to, to recognise first and then accept the emotional reactions and the parts of you that that triggers inside and to, to sort of be with that that process in a in a non-judgmental, compassionate way. That that for me what yeah. kind of mindfulness means. It's just sort of just being with what's going on inside and out, and sort of just gently accepting it and and making that kind of gentle effort to be aware of yourself and not get all caught up in what's going on. The other important thing to say about mindfulness in, in regards to our mind. Is that it helps us? Um, what's the word? Disidentify from our mind instead of sort of being all caught up within the thoughts and dragged along by the thoughts. When we're being mindful, what we're trying to do is really occupy the position of, of the observer of our own mind and see how much of what makes us unhappy or stressed or anxious is actually being created by the thoughts, kind of kind of self-perpetuating noise. And then when we, we can extricate ourselves from that and just kind of watch it, what usually happens is that things kind of die down by themselves and we, we, we kind of spontaneously realise which part of that mental noise is just, is just noise and isn't useful and which part is, is helpful. One of the, there's lots of metaphors around in, in, in mindfulness teaching, but one of the ones I, I most like is, imagine, imagine you're kind of sitting on, a, on a, the platform of a, of a train station, okay? And there's trains coming, zooming, zooming through one way to the right and zooming through the other way to the left. And those trains are kind of thoughts that go to the future and thoughts that go to the past. What we normally do is jump on a train and let it drag us along, jump off, get on the next one, back to the past. And, our, our, you know, we're kind of in and out of trains, on and off these trains, being pulled forward and back. What we want to try and do is just sit on the bench and just watch them and not get involved with them. We don't have to fight with them. We yeah. don't have to kind of try and control our thoughts and, and pretend we don't think or feel what comes up. But also we don't have to kind of dive into it and, and become it. We can, we can 
learn how to be this benign observer of all that happens inside our, our minds and bodies. And once you kind of start to introduce that practice into your, into your daily life, you sort of notice how things seem to kind of settle down and work themselves out in a different way. And how, I think really how, how you kind of suffer less by being all caught up in what in that moment feels like the truth to you and you can't see it another way. It's kind of just a way of getting perspective on, on your own mental activity. Uh, and it really, it really does, for most people, it really does help. That's like a very interesting way of putting it, Mark. Like I've, I've only ever used, I've used Headspace for like a year. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of, I kind of got recommended it, but not know why. Do you know what I mean? Like they're just, they're just like, oh, Headspace can help you. Yeah. And it's actually a good way of putting it, how you said those three, those three ways, especially like non-judgmentally. That's right. And things like that. Because I think it's, it's quite a big thing that me and James said about mental health, where it's like not judging other people as well. So in case of, they might be suffering from, yeah. something and you, you might not suffer the same thing i think doing it non-judgmental is such a, a key factor yeah and you really have to start with yourself i think yeah, it's really true what you say if you but i think often when we lack compassion or we can't quite see or connect with what's happening to somebody else it's, it's often because we're avoiding something similar in ourselves we don't want to realize actually there's, we have more in common with that person that we want to know we have the same kind of vulnerabilities they might be in a bad way at the moment but I might be managing the same vulnerability by, by not seeing it and by putting it into that person. And often the things that kind of we find hardest to, to accept um, or understand in other people are really big red flags for what perhaps we're not quite noticing about ourselves or accepting ourselves. And maybe we, you know, we can either go into overdrive, oh, poor them. I'm, you know, I'm so fortunate that I'm not in that situation. Or it could be, what the hell's wrong with them? You know, why are they making such a big deal of it? They should just pull themselves together. In, in both cases, I think they're, they're probably signs that there's something vulnerable that's being, being stimulated inside us that we, 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 we probably needs attention. Yeah, so true. I guess the more we speak to people on the show, the more, and, and the more that me and Amesh speak to each other, the more we realize that we do have things in common. They're from different backgrounds and experiences, but actually they're the same issues that are occurring. And we kind of found that out through, I guess, talking to each other and, and sharing, swapping notes basically. And so how does mindfulness then, when you reach those, maybe those darker thoughts that sound, you know, it, yeah. we're encouraging those to, to come out and to not push them down what is the importance of talking compared to just the because it kind of sounds like mindfulness is sort of a self therapy you are your own therapist in a way you're stepping back and seeing the issues and then letting them just occur and and go really, with it that's a really interesting and important question um i mean i said mindfulness on it i mean it's not a therapy mindfulness on it is, is 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 a i suppose i would call it a what's the best phrase a self-care tool or you know meditation is what it is it's not therapy um i certainly introduce mindfulness into my therapeutic work with people but it's true that as a practice when we when we're teaching the, the groups here the idea is that people will go off and do it by themselves and mindfulness i think sometimes is missold as the answer you know i think when you look at 
I mean, it's important to hold on to what you said when you get in, in touch with darker, more difficult things. Where, what, what does mindfulness do for you? And what's the difference between tackling that with mindfulness and perhaps in, in a more um, two-person supportive situation? Because I think sometimes mindfulness is sold as the answer to everything. And certainly a lot of the kind of images and publicity around mindfulness and the kind of sound bites and the kind of stuff you see on Facebook you know, it's always kind of peaceful scenes and it's often people in the kind of meditative pose, you know, beautiful people um, in a sunny, on a sunny beach or it's a kind of a pile of stones. That's one that really actually winds me up quite a lot. You see that all the time, a pile of rocks. Somehow it's supposed to represent some kind of zen, you know, kind of uh, it's simplified, spiritually easy solution to, to, to your difficulties and it's, it isn't true. Um, you know, mindfulness is not about um, relaxation. Mindfulness is not, is not about um, positive thinking. It's not about stopping your mind and kind of finding some kind of empty nirvana. It's, it's about getting down to the nitty gritty of what's going on inside you and kind of being with it. You know? and, and sometimes that's not easy. I think, you know, People sometimes when they begin to meditate, they have a, they have a good experience. So they you know, think, oh, that feels really good to just let my thoughts go and to just be with myself and feel my breathing. But sooner or later, you're probably going to get to the anxiety that you're holding in your body or, you know, memories that start to bubble up you thought you'd forgotten about. When you sort of say yes to yourself, you say, okay, now I'm going to give myself space just to accept whatever comes up inside and pay attention to with that niggling pain in my shoulder, whatever it is, or, in, or, or that, that, that sense of unease I have in my belly, and then you say yes to it, well, actually, perhaps what comes up is quite difficult. You start to become more anxious. Perhaps you start to remember something that you, you thought you'd put behind yourself, or you start to feel frustrated or depressed or whatever it is, or, you know, or you start to, you know, your mind doesn't want to do this, and it goes off into, into a tailspin or whatever it might be. So, sorry, to answer your, your question, James, I think two things. Uh, mindfulness has to be linked up with 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 learning about compassion learning about self-compassion and kind of preparing yourself to make a space or whatever might come come up and being kind to yourself when it does it does it if, if, if difficult things do do arise you know i Sometimes mindfulness can seem like quite a kind of clinical bare attention, the kind of just, you know, being present for whatever comes up. Now, of course, if what comes up is pain or anxiety or sadness or anger, we can easily just fall back into our old responses of thinking, well, I don't like that. I won't, I won't feel that. I'll just go off and, you know, get drunk or, or go and go and exercise for five hours or, or you know, Whatever, it might, whatever your particular distraction technique is. So I do think it's very important also to help people, even though it's a, it's a relatively short course, to help people deactivate their self-judgment um, and make a kind of conscious effort to kind of welcome in difficult feelings. Often a good way of doing that is to work through the body because if we, you know, if we stay in the mind, then often it can kind of get us hooked back into old patterns of why is this happening this shouldn't have happened i don't like that um and, and we can kind of get lost again in thoughts but if you can one of the one of the important aspects of mindfulness is reintroducing ourselves to our awareness of our bodies and how emotions 
um, including difficult emotions that are held in the body. And often we, we live up in our heads as a way of avoiding that, about not knowing about it, and you know, sort of keep going with our mental plans and our objectives and what we think we have to do. And our body might be sending us signals, we might be getting migraines, you know, we might throw our back out every couple of months, or uh, we might notice that our skin isn't great, or we might have lost a lot of weight, or whatever it might be. So often the body is saying, hang on, something isn't great here. We're not always particularly willing to, to, to listen to our body. So one of the fundamental aspects of mindfulness, in a way it's, a, in a, in a way it's not, perhaps not a great word for it, because it, mindfulness makes people kind of go to the mind, but your mind is part of your body. Your mind, your mind and body are kind of so interlinked. And so if you can let your attention kind of just drop down from the busyness of the thoughts, you know, sort of behind your eyes and up in your brain, and just feel down into your body and just trust that whatever comes up is there for a reason. And often difficult feelings, you know, unhappiness or sadness or anxiety are very identified. Once we sort of learn to do that, um, just compassionately learn to say, you know, yes, what, what is this feeling of tightness in my chest? Can I breathe with it? And just sort of say yes to it. I won't try and understand it. I won't try and um, intellectualize it and find out what it means in my mind. I'll just trust that my body is telling me something that's difficult. And if you can kind of send almost an accepting energy to any part of your body that's, that's in pain or contraction or, or discomfort in some way, often that's a really good way of noticing what you're really feeling underneath the busyness of your mind and if you can breathe with it and you can say yes to it really start to, to helpfully in a kind of safe way let those difficult feelings start to be expressed in your body now what i would say and perhaps this is where we come to the kind of the limitations of mindfulness if you have persistent issues in your life which you kind of sense that are there and need to be sort of worked on and, and sorted out. I think probably mindfulness can be a useful way in, but it's probably going to be necessary at some time to, to get some individual help and to look at those problems and difficulties within a supportive therapeutic relationship, which may well include aspects of mindfulness and self-compassion. I would hope it would do, because I think it's the, the, the most... Um, human and effective way to, to help people, you know, to, to, to be very aware of mindfulness techniques and self-compassion techniques as an integral part of therapeutic work. But it, we, no, I don't think people, if, if people are, oh, I think what sometimes happens in our mindfulness groups is the person will, will come at the end and say, what, you, what you've done for me is, is help me realize um, what a bad place I'm in. Yeah, I need more help, basically. I need something need more else help. from it. Exactly. It might be that actually it, it kind of breaks them down in a way. Um, now, as long as that's done in a safe way, and then and, and then they're they're aware that there is you know they, that we are also psych psychologists and psychotherapists, and the, I say we because I work with a colleague here. Um, then that can actually that, that, on several occasions that that's that's led into then the person becoming more curious about well, hang on, what, what is all this stuff that's coming up? And, and I actually do need to look at it in a, in a more focused, individual, safe, protected environment with a therapist. 
but I guess you need that. You do need that self love to start with, don't you? Because if you're if those thoughts and feelings that are coming up, like we've spoken to people before, and they've just been either it's either the stigma around seeking help, especially with men, yeah. that they'll just you know say, "Why do you need that?" But then that becomes a, a self reflection. You think, actually, why do I really need that? No, I, I don't yeah. need this. And then if you're not uh, as accepting as the dark thoughts that come up, then I guess you're not going to go to the next stage, which is if needed, that's where you need to get to, I guess. I think that's exactly right. And I think, you know, it's interesting what brings people into either therapy or into, into, into a mindfulness group. Obviously there's a part of them that realizes it's not working. Obviously there's a part of them that realizes you know, the mechanisms that I rely on have got me this far, but they're, you know, I, I don't feel okay. Um, People often come ambivalently, they sort of apart and think, well, I've heard about this, the doctor said it might be good for me, or, you know, a, a, a friend said your course really helped them. But you can see some, you know, you can see the kind of difficulty people have. Sometimes it manifests in that they don't do the homework, you know, <laughs> they don't do the homework, it could be just because they're, they're, they're kind of, you know, that what I mean is that we, we do ask people to practice between sessions to dedicate 15 or 20 minutes to, to meditation, doing other informal practices that we suggest. And apart from it being a very difficult you know, habit to, to introduce sometimes to, to find that time and to kind of, you know, try and be with yourself for 15 minutes with no distractions is, 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 is no mean feat sometimes. But I, I often perceive that part of it is because they somehow don't feel they deserve it. Somehow they think it's self-indulgent. Somehow they think the idea of self-love sounds like kind of, you know, hippie nonsense. It sounds kind of, you know, oogly-boogly and, and, and we know what the hell's that, self-love, you know, that sounds kind of, uh, I think for men often you know, that sounds kind of gay or effeminate or, or, or you know that's kind of nonsense um, so yeah you do come up against that sometimes people kind of find it hard to sort of let themselves feel they deserve to be helped and, and so we really towards the end of the course in the sixth session we have a whole session on, on, on compassion and the importance of kind of undoing those automatic thought paths which which take you away from looking after yourself and say you know in a critic that says you must do better you must carry on your it's your fault that this isn't working out for you um i mean it's such uh my sense is that mindfulness and with all different kinds of psychotherapy and also spirituality there's there's a realization in recent years all roads seem to lead to self-compassion recently everybody seems to be realizing that there's this dangerous deficits um, of self-compassion in, in society in general. Um, and when you can't be compassionate to yourself, you end up taking it out on other people in some way or other. You know, it's, um, let's not get into politics today, but I think there's no accident that, you know, we've, we've been given Donald Trump, perhaps the least compassionate leader of the Western world that, that's ever been known. And I, and I think my reading of him would be he's somebody who's desperately is there a, in need like is there a time you recommend to do it mark like is it better in the morning or the evening treating or himself better. and because he can't bear his own vulnerability he can't bear his own littleness he can't bear his own pain he's you know radically dissociated all of his own difficulties but all otherness and littleness and vulnerability into the external world and there's kind of you know attacked it mercilessly 
So yes, it's, I think self self compassion is 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 a huge topic, and um, it's a really interesting question as to why why in modern society there's such there's such a big lack of of the ability to to be with our own vulnerability and to treat ourselves well when we do feel vulnerable. No, I always say to the people, people have to find their own kind of, I, I, because I, um, I, I'm a morning person anyway. I think I, I function better in the morning and because I've got two relatively young kids who once they're kind of up and about, it's just the day's gone. You know, it's, there's just no time. So for me, it works better to get up early. I get up at uh, just after six o'clock, have a shower and, and do my meditation then. Also, I think it's a great way to start the day, you know, to kind of have an intention to kind of be present with yourself from the start of the day is a, is a that works for me but when people come to the groups and that it is a struggle because they all obviously come because they they want to learn mindfulness but also a great majority have come because they haven't got one single minute free in the day and they don't know how to manage their own they're kind of overwhelmed so to ask somebody you know now you need to find at least 50 minutes every day and give yourself that block of time for you i mean they, they, it, it, it's really difficult for people to do that even though we kind of explain what you invest in this will more than come back to you in the benefits you feel so i, I generally what i do say to people is in my speech in the first session I said, when, we, when we're talking about how to introduce mindfulness into your daily life i feel i have to be good cop and bad cop at the same time so good cop says i understand this is a new a new practice for you it's a new habit you need to introduce into your life it's not something we're used to giving ourselves this time and and, and looking after ourselves in this way you know, don't beat yourself up if at, if at first it's hard to find the time to do it and then on on the part of bad cop what i say is you must do the, the homework you have to find the time and you have to Speak to who you have to speak and find a window in your diary and find a space in your house where you'll be left alone for 15 minutes. Um, it, don't wait, don't, 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 if you start to practice mindfulness, it's usually not helpful to say, well, I'll do it when I get moment. You know, I'll do it when, when I've got, when I've got everything out of the way, uh, uh, I, uh, I'll, I'll do it then. Well, you know, you probably realise that, you know, it's 11 at night and you've got your feet up in front of the TV and you're watching Netflix and you haven't done it. So I, you know, I do say to people, don't, I don't mind if you do it in the morning, I don't mind if you do it at lunchtime or in the evening, but decide when you're going to do it and, and really make a commitment to yourself to, to, to start, even if at first you don't feel the benefits or it you know, sort of makes you just feel I can't be bothered. Um, just kind of trust in the process. And my, my experience is not, I mean, nothing is for everybody. So mindfulness isn't for everybody, but I think the vast majority of people who come to our groups get a lot out of it and are glad that they've you know, invested the time and energy in doing the practice. Yeah. I think the mind, the mind body connections, the part, um, I mean, it's all like, it's all fascinating and I'm always been interested to look into it more, but the mind body for me, that's personally affected me in my life with stress and work. Um, and it's that saying, isn't it? The, the stomach and is the, is the real, you know, the gut reaction, second, second brain second that brain, tells yeah, what's absolutely. going on. And I remember having the stress come through that and, you know, in a quiet office place and, you know, like a physical this is, you know, I'm, I'm getting the feeling the stress get worse and worse because of my bodily reaction. And then I would try and, and I would so try and James. focus on the stomach and be like, before work, I never had an issue with my stomach. So it's clearly, it's clearly not a physical thing that's there. It's just something that's come psychosomatic from the head and trying to blanket exactly. that just made it a little worse. And it was just, 
Mm-hmm. Right, no, there's a, no, there's a, we talk about that a lot in the course. And one of the things we say is that, you know, if you, your body is talking to you all the time, and if you don't listen to it, and if you don't listen to it day after day, week after week, month after month, if, if you don't listen to it and it talks to you, it'll end up shouting and it will stop you. And that can be backache, that can be a slip disc, but it can be stomach problems, it could be acid reflux, it could be, as I said, an outbreak of psoriasis. It could, but there's huge amounts of, of really interesting um, evidence about the psychological component of other serious illnesses, cancer. Um, multiple sclerosis, um, motor neurone disease. There's a guy called Gabor Mate who write, who's written a book called the, When the Body Says No. And he's a medical doctor who has a very um, holistic view of mental and physical health. And it, it's so interesting, the kind of personality types and the personal family histories that tend to go with certain serious physical illnesses in later life. Now, of course, one has to be very careful about jumping conclusions, and one has to be very careful about, about appearing to blame the victim of a, you know, the, the sufferer of a disease as in somehow it's their fault because of their lifestyle or their kind of personality. That's the last thing that would be helpful. But I do think we grossly underestimate, grossly underestimate the role in emotional and psychological factors in both ordinary everyday health issues and illnesses and, and very probably in, in many more serious um, health conditions. Um, I'm not just reducing it down to saying it's just your mind. What I'm saying is your mind has your mind and your emotional experience and your ability to accept yourself and, and and welcome your feelings and your your reactions and your personality and, and i think it has a very big influence on how your body works and it can it can produce serious illness if it gets to a certain certain level um yeah i i i, I just think it's such a fundamental aspect of mental health is is, is learning really to to reconnect with your body and and listen to it and said too much because I've just been good to listen to hear about it because we don't know I guess that much about it really so for people who have always thought about it and maybe whether it's for them or not I think just getting that insight into it will be really really helpful the book that I read first about uh-huh. mindfulness which I think is a very good introduction to mindfulness is, is what they call you get this title more or less right it's by Mark Williams and Danny Penman and it's I think it's simply called Mindfulness, um, How to Find Peace in a Frantic World. And if any, any listeners want to kind of, a, 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 want an accessible introduction, which also includes an eight-week course that you can do, on your, do by yourself um, with meditations, I think there's audios that you can download to do meditations. That, for me, was kind of my starting point. I mean, I, I'd recommend that book, certainly. A quick kind of quick mindful breathing practice for a few minutes if you've got if you've got time yeah, if that. you've got time mark are you happy right. okay well this is to both to, to you two and to the to, to the listeners so what i would suggest you do is just kind of find a comfortable sitting position um it's good if you can have your your feet firmly planted on the floor um 
we recommend people try not to lean back on the on the back support of their chair if that's okay just trying to kind of support your own weight and and, and sit straight if that feels comfortable if it doesn't then you can lean back but just find a kind of upright um, comfortable position and then close your eyes let your eyes close and just let your attention drop down through your body to your feet and just notice the sensation of your feet in contact with the floor, the support of the floor underneath. Be with the sensations of, of that contact. And then just notice also the support of the chair underneath you. Notice your weight. Notice any sensations of contact in the hands. Okay, now just go back down to your feet and, and really focus on the sensations in your toes. But don't kind of look for sensations, just notice what's already there. There's not much, that doesn't matter. And then slowly we're going to expand the field of your awareness to include more parts of the body one by one. So now feel the rest of your feet once again. Open up to sensations in your ankles and your lower legs. Noticing what's there without forcing it or trying to imagine anything. Include your knees and thighs now. All area of the pelvis. Keep moving up and feel the whole trunk of your body, your back, belly, chest, your shoulders. Noticing the sensations that are rising spontaneously. Moving up now down through your arms into your hands. You're feeling the sensations also in your neck and finally also including your head so now just opening up to the whole body without any expectation or need to do anything just notice the sensations inside whether they're pleasant or unpleasant be with what you notice of gentle, receptive attention. And now, shift from that kind of expansive attention to a focused attention on your belly. 
And as you concentrate on the sensations in your belly, just notice the movements of your breathing. So without interfering in your breathing, trusting your body to breathe by itself, just connect to the present moment, feeling each breath. So first feeling how the belly rises and falls. Breathe in, breathe out. You might even want to place a hand over your belly just to help you feel those, those movements. Expansion and relaxation. No need to control it or, or try and relax. You just let the body breathe as it would naturally, and you just follow as witness. Being present. Almost certainly at some point you'll feel distracted, a thought will come in about something you've got to do, something you did an idea or an image or whatever it might be. Don't worry, that's not a mistake. When that happens, you just notice where your mind went and gently bring it back to your breathing and your belly. Reconnect. Rather than judging or criticizing yourself or becoming tense, making an effort, just relax back into the breathing and congratulate yourself for having noticed. Once you notice your absence, fact, you've already come back. You've already come back to observing what's going on. Just feel each in breath. Help her. You may get distracted over and over again. Not a problem. All you have to do is, when you notice, gently return back. Relax back, let your breathing take you with it. Rest your awareness with the sensations and movements of your body, like an anchor that keeps you here. Best you can without judging or being impatient with yourself, just keep coming back to this breath, this moment. Perhaps noticing if it Helps you feel more relaxed, or perhaps there's no difference, perhaps. Maybe you can feel more, more anxiety. It doesn't matter. There's no place we're trying to get to, or thing we're trying to achieve. The only thing you need to do is keep coming back. Keep dropping back down into your belly and feeling. 
That was really good. Yeah, I thought that was about to nod off. Yeah. Okay. Well, are you ready? You stop, you can open your eyes. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough danger sometimes, as I said. Sometimes what this is that actually you're, you did a couple and of hours. Because obviously straight away my thoughts went to everything else that was going on. And then by the time you said it, I think the fourth or fifth time, it actually got easier to focus on the breathing and then you started to drown out a bit. So. What, 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 what's so, what's I think so um, important when you start doing mindfulness is to get rid of any idea of trying to do it right or well. Most important thing is to notice when you've gone off. And when, you, when, you, when you've got lost and got trapped in a thought, rather than saying, oh bugger, I, I'm not doing it right. What you, what, what you re really should be saying is, I'm back, aren't I? Because I've seen what's happened. So I'll just gently refocus my breath on, onto my attention onto the breath. It doesn't matter if you just get distracted a thousand times in one minute. What what matters is the kind is the ability to gently, kindly bring yourself back and not get into a fight with yourself. Lizzie's got to do a song, a story, a joke. It's on you, Mark. You can call it. All right. Okay. Heads. Tails, tails, tails. tails. I taught a wolf to meditate. Now he's a were wolf. Ah. Like <laughs> <laughs> it's awful. Liam and Abai had that. These are my nephews. Oh my cousins. I think they may have looked at me kind of, you know, in disgust. Um, yeah, yeah. Best I can do. Must be the language, oh, must yeah. be the language barrier, surely. Yeah, exactly. In baskets, in baskets, a lot funnier, I imagine. It's hilarious. Thanks for listening. Please follow and share us on Instagram and Twitter at All Chats Pod with a space.